Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Welcome to From the Crow's Nest, a podcast on electromagnetic spectrum operations, or EMSO. I'm your host, Ken Miller, Director of Advocacy and Outreach for the Association of Old Crows. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, we are doing things a little different. A couple weeks ago, I sat down with John Knowles. He's the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Electromagnetic Dominance, or the JED, to discuss a range of issues from the defense budget to joint all-domain command and control, or JADC2, and also some upcoming editions of the JED that are coming out in September. I'll share some excerpts of that conversation later in the program. Before I get to that, I want to preview some of our upcoming episodes and share a few other notes that hopefully pique your interest. First, I'm very excited about our upcoming episodes, especially I sit down with Mr. David Weinberger. He is the author of a book, Everyday Chaos, Technology, Complexity, and How We're Thriving in a World of Possibility. It's a great book, and as you're wrapping up your summer vacations, I would highly recommend that you add it to your reading list. There is a lot of applicability to our electromagnetic spectrum operations community. David has been a thought leader on how the internet, artificial intelligence, machine learning is changing how we live and do business. And the book, Everyday Chaos, is about how this technology is enabling us to take advantage of all the chaos it's revealing. So it's changing our understanding of how things happen, and it has implications for how we develop strategies for predicting, preparing, and managing our world. So when we talk about EMSO, we are learning that the EMS is not just congested and contested and complex, it's also chaotic. And technology is forcing us to rapidly change how we model and simulate this environment. I read the book over the summer and I wanted to have David on and I look forward to sitting down with him and having the episode out in September. We are also working on episodes continuing our conversations on open systems architecture, microelectronics supply chain, and electronic protection. And we also have some insight into the recently signed implementation plan for the electromagnetic spectrum superiority strategy. Now, all that said, that's just this podcast from the Crow's Nest. We also have our sister podcast, The History of Crows. And this has been a lot of fun to put these episodes together. If you're on vacation here in August, driving across the country or sitting on the beach, and you enjoy listening to history, please take time to catch up on History of Crows. We just released episode four, The Beam Wars. That shares untold stories from World War II that include the Battle of Britain, the Night Blitz, and of course, the Beam Wars. We have our next episode, episode five coming out, is going to cover the air campaigns over Hamburg and Berlin, the code breakers from Bletchley Park, and the EW and radar operations that supported D-Day and the landing on the beaches of Normandy. These have been great stories to put together, and I really encourage you to take some time to catch up and learn a little bit more about EW history. History is important. It anchors our identity as a society and also as an operational community. AOC is going to be rolling out some broader history initiatives here in the coming weeks. But most importantly, we want to collect and share your stories. And so 
I want to take this opportunity to let our listeners know that if you have a mission, a program, an agency, some story that you want to share, go to our website, crows.org slash podcast and contact us. We're looking for as many first person accounts as we can gather. Now, without further delay, I want to share some excerpts from my conversation with John Knowles, editor-in-chief of AOC's Journal of Electromagnetic Dominance, or the JED. I sat down with John a few weeks ago, and we discussed a range of topics. First on the docket was the annual defense budget, which is well underway in Congress. I'll be a, a bit behind its normal schedule. Both defense appropriations and authorization bills will move to full congressional committee markups in September when Congress returns, and then, of course, to the respective floors. So I asked John what trends he saw in the president's budget that was submitted to Congress a couple months ago. There were trends that were carried on that I think were really good to see. One was there is a lot of MSO in there, a lot of EW and SIGINT programs that they're talking about. Going back to the president's budget request, there's a lot of funding for small disposable platforms and expendable platforms, which are going to push electronics into lower size, weight, power, smaller platforms. And they're going to, have to be less expensive too, because they're going to be on platforms that probably aren't coming out of the battle space necessarily. So they got to be a little bit more expendable than we typically have designed for. So that was an interesting thing to see some of those in the 6263 type budget lines and the platforms that go with them. So they're marrying that up. And now you can kind of start to see why the DOD has been so focused on things like demos and really getting their arms around new technology and getting a sense of like, how would our operators use these new things? You're seeing DARPA help out with mosaic warfare and things where they're not just coming up with a new technology, but maybe also some of the operational concepts that go with it, these new technologies as a group. Hello, everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. A BAE Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating disruptive next-generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community, for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Labs specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing to high-level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology and for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products benefit our warfighters through 
partnership with BA Systems Electronic Systems product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work at classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. On the shifts that are occurring in the budget to develop and field technology faster, John had this to say. So there are two, I think, major shifts that weren't, if you looked at a budget from 10 years ago, you wouldn't see these things, even five years ago, probably. One of the early shifts was this focus, that this realization that weapons platforms, especially the large, complex weapons platforms, whether it's a ship, surface combatant, a fighter jet, something like that, they have a timeline for how long it takes to develop and field it. F-35 is probably the worst case scenario, but it takes a long time to field those. The electronics that are going to go on them need to be bought at a faster pace than the platform itself. And so you need to really be able to pace this commercial technology and the way it's coming out, utilize it, things like that. So you're seeing more interest in OTA and middle tier acquisition that can move faster for defense electronics in general, but EW and SIGINT in particular. So you're seeing that, and that's not brand new, and this goes back to maybe 2016, 17, 18. You started seeing that. That created the ability to develop technology faster in the S&T world and demonstrate it in field demos and things like that, which put an onus on industry, by the way, to go and basically put their money into development more themselves, bring their solutions to a demo and compete, as opposed to, say, getting an EMD contract or something like that and saying, okay, based on this paper proposal, we're going to build this hardware system, you know, this piece of hardware with a lot of software in it. But what I am seeing is the Air Force, for example, and their 6.2 and 6.3 S&T programs, they are putting specific money into making sure that there is a vehicle, a strategic technology development vehicle in all of their 6.2, programs that are dealing with electronics to get it from 6.2, to 6.4 to EMD, basically to, to full acquisition as opposed to S&T, which is sort of 6263. So you're seeing that in the Air Force. That was kind of new to me this year. I didn't see that in the previous budgets where like every 62 program element or 63 program element had some sort of vehicle, had money put aside for these demos. On the difficulties of truly understanding how DOD and the services are investing EW. I think it's very difficult, partly because... So much of the budget is happening, at least for me, so much of it happens in the classified world that you don't know what they're building there. You have an idea. And so it's very hard to say a service isn't doing this or isn't doing that because they might be. So I always try to be very careful about what I say when I draw a conclusion because there's a big chunk of the world that we just don't see and can't talk about. 
But I look at something like MFU, and there's an interesting pattern, I think, in MFU. There's nothing in the Army, again, this is like in my world, I go on observe behavior over the course of almost 30 years of here's what the Army has done or the Navy's done. Congress is also making sure that DOD knows that Congress is paying attention to the EMS superiority strategy and the implementation plan that was recently signed and released. There was a congressional hearing in the spring that highlighted DOD's failure to implement previous strategies on the EMS and EW. This new strategy cannot share the same fate. And so Congress has passed several reforms in recent years to improve oversight and leadership, and they continued this push over the summer in subcommittee marks. They really want to make sure that the implementation plan was followed through. So they want to report right away about the implementation plan. As we speak now, the implementation plan has been signed, but not publicly released. So I haven't seen it yet. So I'm not sure exactly what's in it. But the committee wants to make sure that they're on record as saying, you know, we really want to make sure you know we're interested in this too. So that's a positive step. The other area that the CITS, the city's committee, weighed in on was developing digital technologies for survivability and lethality testing. So they're getting into a discussion that's been in some of the AOC podcasts and some of the AOC conferences this year on electromagnetic protection and in making sure that the systems are very efficient in dealing with the environments that they're going to be in, the electromagnetic environments, operating environments that are going to be, again, contested, congested. So they weighed in. That was kind of what the cities weighed in on. Those were the two big issues that I saw there. I should add in their language about looking at the electromagnetic spectrum superiority strategy implementation plan. They want the designation of a senior official for that implementation. So there's already a senior designated official for EW, but they're basically, again, saying who is going to be in charge of implementing this. They're very serious about those recommendations not getting lost and basically watered down like other strategies where they haven't been fully implemented. They really want accountability here. And I think that's, again, interesting language. And that's what I would expect out of that committee that Congressman Langevin is running. So I think Congress is trying to keep the attention focused on a concentrated strategy, a centralized strategy, and an implementation plan that gets taken care of by one person. And they're going to represent something somewhere. It doesn't get to get handed across three different or four different organizations. And Congress is saying, we have our eye on you. We see you. We know that you're in the midst of change. But you look at where EW is in terms of the Pentagon bureaucracy. My personal opinion is this could go the way of the other strategies because there's, again, no one to take care of it. So Congress has their eye on the ball and they're letting the Pentagon know that. We also discussed JADC2, which has been a frequent topic here on From the Crow's Nest, including a great conversation with Brigadier General Rob Parker in June from Joint Staff J6. What I see in JADC2 is maybe conversations that no one's having right now. I kind of think of JADC2, and I hate to boil it down to something really simple, but everybody wants to buy JADC2 and they want to look at the performance characteristics of it. It's kind of like buying a new car and you want it to look like a Ferrari and talk about it like it's a Ferrari. But really, it's got to be available. It's got to work. It's got to be able to perform in a tough environment. You know that whoever you're fighting, if it's a peer competitor, they're going to go at you in the EMS because they think that's your weak underbelly. They're going to try to take away your data links. They're going to try to take away your C2 capability because they know how dependent we are on that. And so nobody's talking about the electromagnetic survivability of these systems. So it goes back to the EP conversation. Does the DOD have the ability to really put 
JADC2 and the systems that are going to make up JADC2, ABMS and things like that, through the ringer. Not just when they develop it, but when they go to train with it, all the aspects of it, so that we really know we have a plan, everybody understands how this is going to perform or not perform. It's not that this thing has to be perfect all the time, but what are we going to do if it's parts of it aren't available or certain things aren't happening? JADC2, to me, everyone thinks about it, and they're probably right, obviously, to think about it from a data standpoint, from an information standpoint. But I see it from a connectivity standpoint, too. It has to be able to move information, not through wires, but through the electromagnetic spectrum. And we don't really have a very good way of, as far as I can tell, of testing it out and making sure it's going to work or to train with an environment where it's not all available. Finally, the September edition of JED is just around the corner and John provided us a preview. Our September issue is going to have a cover story on camouflage, concealment, and deception, which kind of gets into the EP conversation. It's kind of an interesting discussion because, again, we built out in the Gulf War this offensive battle network. We were able to use ISR and a whole sensor to shooter network, precision engagement, things like that. And we've been refining that for 30 years. We've never faced it. And so we, again, have been training and operating in permissive environments. And now you look at Russia or China, they've got a lot of UAVs, they can leverage space. When you bring AI into your ISR world, and it can start picking out target features based on radar returns, based on electromagnetic signatures, like you're not executing very good EP, so you don't know using a lot of LPI, LPD, a lot of electro-optical sensors that can, again, pick out targets, IR, things like that. We're not used to facing that. So we got to think about how do we hide from the sensors? that are going to be out there. We're not going to just shoot down all the sensors. If we think that's our game plan, there's a lot of sensors out there. Some of them are in space. There's a lot of things that we have to figure about how to camouflage, multispectral camouflage, that is, conceal what we're doing. And then there's a whole, our emissions. How good are we at emissions control? How good are our systems at not being detected out there? So there's a whole concealment piece. And then we're going to need a lot more decoys out there than we have today, because we're going to have to create some false targets for our adversaries and try to defuse their attacks. But if you look at what Russia has done in Syria and eastern Ukraine, they have really put together a nice sensor-to-shooter kill chain with just UAVs and sensors and some long-range artillery and precision munitions. They have really been able to concentrate fires in the right place. So sometimes if it's a high-value target, they're going to use a loitering munition. If they just want to break up an enemy force, they're going to put a lot of artillery in there. They've got a lot of precision long-range artillery. They've got a lot of good enough ISR that it's very difficult to blunt that. We're not familiar with operating in that environment, but we're going to have to think about that. So again, I feel like we're having a back-to-the-future conversation about the end of the Cold War. You're not going to have easy access to the EMS and be able to maneuver in there without being detected and probably jammed. And you're probably not going to be able to just assemble your forces out on the battlefield. And this goes back to the joint warfighting concepts that we've been operating under for 30 years, which is we can mass our forces because no one's going to attack us. And we can attack you with massed forces. And we're learning that we may not be able to get away with that anymore. What are the implications of that in the EMS? And again, going back to our EMS strategy conversation, if you don't have a sound EMS strategy, then whatever you think of for a joint warfighting concept, if, if EMS operations isn't baked into that, you're really still not all the way there. You're not going to be ready for that. And so the September JED, to go back to your original question, is kind of getting at, at a piece of that in the land domain. 
That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I do want to thank John Knowles for joining me and sharing his thoughts on the defense budget and other topics. Again, don't miss our upcoming episodes of From the Crow's Nest in September and catch up on our History of Crows podcast. We are also going to be live at the AOC Convention and Symposium, November 30th to December 2nd. We'll be interviewing keynote speakers and other guests throughout the week with daily segments and episodes. To learn more, go to crows.org slash podcast. Have a great rest of the summer and thank you for listening. Fast Labs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs.